Father, we do ask this morning again that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. As we open your word once again this morning, we ask that you would show us yourself, that you would reveal your will to us, that you would encourage us with your spirit, and Father, that we would be attentive to your voice. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, again, those words in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Now, the careful reader of John's writings will know that that verse is very similar to a verse that we find at the end of his gospel, the gospel of John. When we turn to John chapter 20, verse 31, we hear this. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that by believing you may have life in his name. It's very similar to that, that verse, verse 13, isn't it? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, just to, to give you a little bit of insider baseball here on the Gospel of John and John's letters, we call these the Johannine literature, the, the writings of John. There's a debate that often you'll hear when it comes to these writings, the debate between whether or not the Gospel of John came first or the letters of John came first. Which of these was written first? And then there's also some debate about whether or not John is writing to the same community in both of these writings. If he is writing to the same community with his Gospel and these letters that he's writing. But... Uh, Whatever the case, I think these verses give us maybe a clue. It seems likely to me that the gospel of John comes first, and then we have the letters of John, probably also writing to the same community. I say that because when we look at the end of, God, uh, of the gospel of John, John chapter 30, verse 31, we see that John is writing to those people to instill belief in them to instill belief in that church community. He says, these things are written in the gospel. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he's writing to that church community, whatever that community is, he's writing to instill a belief to, in them. Uh, it's the idea that maybe this community is not quite believing yet in the name of Jesus Christ, or maybe they're believing, but they're not very strong in that belief. He's writing the gospel to them to, to bring them to a, a belief in the real Jesus. But when we come to his letters, when we come to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we see him writing to give them the assurance of their belief. Verse 13, again, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, he's writing now to people who already believe in the Son of God. They already believe in the real Jesus, but now he's writing to them to assure them that they have eternal life. 
And so the picture that we might have here is a community that has heard the witness of the gospel and has believed the witness of that gospel and has, has through that belief, found a new life in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and yet now many years later are lacking the assurance of that belief. They are lacking in the assurance of the life that their belief was supposed to bring. You can picture the Gospel of John being written to this community, probably in Ephesus or around Ephesus in Asia Minor. And these letters, especially 1 John, being written to the same community, probably in Ephesus or those churches around the area of Asia Minor. They have come to believe the Gospel that John has presented to them. They have come to receive that gospel, and they believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They acknowledge that he is fully God and fully human. He has come in the flesh. He really died, and he was really raised. They believe all of that, but now many years later, they are struggling in that belief. They are finding that that belief has not brought them the kind of life that they expected to have as a result of believing. They are lacking in the assurance of eternal life. And so John has to write this letter, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. I write these things to you who already believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So they, they believe in the Son of God. They have this faith in who Jesus is, but they're not quite sure that they have the kind of life that they were promised. You ever struggle with that? You ever come to that same kind of experience where you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you have faith in who Jesus is, and yet you struggle with the assurance of that faith? Or you struggle with the assurance that you have eternal life? I mean, how do you know that your faith is real? How do you know that you have the eternal kind of life that John is talking about? How do we have that assurance of our faith? In the gospel and even in this letter, whenever John talks about eternal life, he's really talking about the kind of life that believers can have right now. It's a life that comes from the future, it comes from eternity, but it also touches us now, here in the present. Eternal life in the Gospel of John and even in this letter, it's not something that we have to wait for. He's not talking about heaven so much as he's talking about the kind of life that we can experience now, heaven touching earth now. It's something that we receive now it's the kind of life eternal life is the kind of life that that is touched by eternity it's the kind of life that we experience now as believers in being changed by eternity it's a life that has been made new and it's a life that is being lived in and through the kingdom of god which is already breaking into this world and so when we find in the Gospel of John, for example, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we hear Jesus say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
It's not just something that we have to wait for in the future. It's not just something that Christians are longing for, but Jesus is describing a kind of life that is transformative now in the present reality, in the present life of the believer. Or a couple of verses after that, John 3, 36, John says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Or in John chapter 6, verse 47, a similar thing that Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. Or a little bit after that, as people are hearing Jesus preach and teach, they begin to walk away and they leave Jesus. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you also wish to leave? And Peter says to Jesus, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, where Jesus actually defines what he means by eternal life. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's not just something we wait for or long for in the future. It's not necessarily just heaven, but it's actually heaven breaking into this world. It's heaven touching this world. It's eternity breaking in and changing your life. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, eternal life that John is talking about throughout his letter and throughout the gospel is the with God kind of life. The with God kind of life. It's a life that is lived in relationship with God and in relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's the the kind of life that is found in God's kingdom. It lives according to that kingdom and it belongs to that kingdom. And so it's a life that we can have now Whenever we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the name that is above every name, the name of the one who is both fully God and fully human, the name of the Son of God who came into our world, lived and died and was resurrected again, the name of Jesus Christ. But what if you believe all that And yet you struggle to see that kind of eternity life in your own life today. What if you believe all that, you have this faith in Jesus Christ, you acknowledge that he is the son of God, you acknowledge that he really lived and he really died and he was really raised in the flesh. You believe all that and yet you still struggle to see that kind of eternity life in your life today that kind of transformed life in your life today? What if you believe, but you don't seem to have that same vibrant kind of life that John is talking about? See, I think John is writing to a community that is going through that kind of struggle. He's writing to a community that is hurting. They've encountered many different challenges to their faith, and they find themselves somewhat in a state of despair perhaps hopelessness, a state of loss. First of all, they live in a region that is known for its worship of the emperor. Asia Minor, we know from from the history of, of the Roman Empire, was well known for its emperor worship. 
The imperial cult was very much alive and well in that region. It was a very patriotic, uh, nationalistic kind of region where they offered sacrifices to the emperor. They would require all their citizens to burn a pinch of incense to the image of the emperor. Just a little pinch, just a little incense. That was their civic duty. That's what made you a good citizen. And so whenever the church here in this region around Ephesus and the other cities in Asia Minor, whenever the church refused to worship the emperor, they were ostracized. They were cast out of their community. They were persecuted. They were cut off from public life, perhaps because of their failure to pinch that incense, to to burn that pinch of incense to the emperor. They could have been fired from their jobs. They had been cut off from the marketplace. They could have been discriminated against by others. They would have been blamed for crimes that they did not commit. They would be thrown into prison because they did not worship the emperor at the festival days like everybody else. They could have had to pay a fine or be thrown into prison. If the authorities were really cruel, they would throw them into the arena where the Christians would die for their failure to worship the emperor. This is the kind of of life that this church experienced. And you might imagine them wondering, what kind of eternal life is this? I don't worship the emperor. I don't burn the pinch of incense to the emperor like I'm supposed to. I'm cut off from my community. Everybody hates me. I've just lost my job. I've been thrown into prison. I've had to pay a fine that I cannot pay. What kind of eternal life is that? How is it that the life, how how is that the life that God wants for his people? How is that the kingdom of God breaking into this world? So this community has these external pressures that they are facing, which perhaps is leading them to doubting their assurance of eternal life, perhaps causing them to wonder whether it is or whether or not they they lack this life. But this community also is facing internal challenges. They are a community of believers facing challenges from within. And we've talked about this. We've talked about how there have been these false teachers that have come into their community, have been preaching to this community that Jesus Christ did not really come in the flesh, that he's not really the son of God, that he didn't really live a human life or really die on a cross or really be raised from the dead. And these false teachers have led many people astray in this community. They've divided the church. And many people in that church have gone off to follow these false teachers And so it's a divided church. They're experiencing a tremendous loss, loss of friendships, perhaps loss within their own families, brother turned against brother, child against parent. They've gone off to follow the false teachings. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, he writes, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, 
they would have continued with us. It's a community that's being torn apart. He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And so it's a church community that is struggling again because of the internal pressures, not just the external pressures of the society around them, but now also the internal pressures. And they are lacking the assurance of eternal life. And then, as you might imagine, it's likely that many in this church also struggled with their own self-doubt. Their own self-doubt. Am I good enough? Am I doing enough? If I have eternal life, why is this life so hard? And maybe some of you might resonate with these things as well. The pressures from the outside world Not necessarily to worship an emperor, but to worship the imperial march of secularism. The various pressures around us of modern life, the various distractions that we have around us that call us away from the church and away from the faith. We have that temptation to be drawn in those other directions. Or the frailty of our own church community. The vulnerability that we feel. Or maybe in your own weaknesses and your own self-doubt. How can we know that we have the truth? How can we know that we have the assurance of eternal life, even here, even now, even today? How can we know that we are living in a life that is touched by eternity, that is living out of the kingdom breaking into this world? How can we know that we are living a kingdom kind of life? How can we have the assurance that we belong to God? Well, John encourages us to look to the witnesses. John encourages us to look to those who are testifying, to those who have the testimony about these things. First of all, he says to look to the testimony of people, the testimony of people. We see this in verse 9 where he talks about the, the testimony of people, but also in the whole letter itself, as the whole letter itself is basically one long testimony from, from the apostle John. In chapter 1, verse one, and 1, 2, and 3, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you as well. See, John is living out his own experience among his people, and he's showing them that this is a life, the life Jesus Christ, the word of life. He has seen him and has touched him, has heard him. And now he proclaims that to this church. In verse 5 of chapter 1, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. See, John is testifying. John is giving the, the witness, the testimony about Jesus Christ. Or we come back again to the gospel of John, John chapter 21, verse 24, where he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. 
John, who has been a witness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his testimony is true. So John calls us to look to his testimony, the testimony of people. But also in this passage in 1 John chapter 5, just a few verses earlier from what we read this morning at verse 8, he makes this reference to the water and the blood. He says, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. And as we saw last week, this is perhaps a reference all the way back to the cross of Christ where the soldier pierced the the side of Christ with the spear and at once there came out blood and water. And if you go back to John 19 and you see that, that picture, that scene before you, John says, he who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true so that you may believe. Go back to the foot of the cross and you see John the Apostle standing there. And as the soldier pierces the side of Jesus, out comes blood and water. The testimony that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. And the one who sees this bears witness. And his testimony is true. But notice also at that scene at the foot of the cross, who else witnessed this? But the mother of our Lord the Virgin Mary herself. She was there at the foot of the cross with John as well, wasn't she? And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, she was taken into the care of John the apostle. And she was, because of that, likely well known to this community that John is writing to. This community that knows John so well also knows Mary so well because they always go together. These are people that they knew personally, intimately. The apostles themselves, the Virgin Mary herself, they know these people. They are well acquainted with them. And when they testify, when they bear witness about Jesus, that testimony is true. And so these are the witnesses for John's church. They are people to whom they could look whenever they experience doubts. And John is saying that we can as well. When we experience the lack of the assurance of our faith or the lack of the assurance of our salvation, the lack of the assurance that this is eternal life that we already are encountering now and experiencing in this reality, when we doubt that, we look to the the testimony of the apostles. We look to the testimony that we find in Scripture. And we know that their witness is true. But not only that, we also have the benefit of church history. 2,000 years of people who have encountered the risen Christ for themselves and have borne witness to the risen Christ for themselves. We have that testimony as well, the testimony of people. But also, John says, we also have the testimony within ourselves. At verse 10, verse 10 uh, of 1 John 5, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, in himself. See, we also not only have the testimony of others who have encountered Jesus personally and intimately, but we also have our own testimonies, our own witness, our own experiences, these times where we have witnessed the assurance of God in our past, the experiences where we have seen God working in the past, in our own lives, 
See, sometimes when we come to these seasons of doubt, where we come to the lack of the assurance, it's often helpful to reflect back on our own story, to look back on what God has done in our own lives, to think back to your conversion experience, to think back to your baptism. For me, I often will reflect back to my ordination, these moments where God has worked definitively and clearly in our past. That's a testimony. That's a testimony that can sustain us through the doubts. And then John says, we can look to the testimony of God. The testimony of God. We have the testimony of people, we have our own testimony, but we also have the testimony of God. Verse 9 says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Again, at verse 10 and verse 11, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony of himself, but whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. The testimony of God. We have God speaking and we have God acting. God speaking, when we look in the Gospels and we see at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens open up and a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, whom I love. Or we come to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is flanked by Moses and Elijah, and he's there with Peter, James, and John. John, who sees this and witnesses to this, by the way. And the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. We have the speaking of God, God's own testimony concerning his son, but also God's acting in showing us eternal life by raising his son to new life. The action of God, which shows us eternal life in raising the Son from the dead. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Look to the testimonies, he says. Look to the testimonies of people especially the testimonies of the apostles, especially the testimony of John himself who witnessed Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Look to the testimony within yourself, your own experiences of God and how God has worked in your life in the past. Look to the testimony of God, the divine speaking of God, the divine acting of God in raising his son from the dead. And then, having received the testimony and believed the testimony and gone deep with the testimony, having received that eternal life and acknowledging, acknowledging that you have that eternal life, then you can become a testimony for others. A testimony for others. Because others are looking to you. Others are relying on you. 
In the same way that you look to the testimony of others, others are looking for you to testify. Testify concerning the Son of God. I write these things to you who believe. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life.